Um, so commentators state that the reason Metzarine or Egypt was so successful in keeping their slaves, and guys, it's getting a little warm in here. Like, I'm going to have to shed in a minute, and this is really light, and we'll get a little TMI, but I have an internal furnace, so I don't need the external furnace also. And you might need to check the one up here because this is going to be on heat and that's going to be on air and then they're going to be fighting with each other and it ain't going to be going anywhere. Okay, so, but it's just, it, it's not just me. I actually see somebody else like fanning too. So, yeah. All right, so anyway, the reason that Egypt was so successful in keeping their slaves trapped was not because they had the highest fences, not because they had the most ferocious dogs, not because they had the most vicious overseers, but the reason is that because they had the power of breaking the human spirit. And that's why no slaves ever thought about escaping. They broke the human spirit. Okay? But the Israelites escaped, and in a rather dramatic fashion, wouldn't you say? Okay. So, now they're gathered at the bottom of this Man, mountain. Imagine this scene in your head. But have you ever thought about this? Did they even know who they were? They were 50 days from being slaves. Okay? They had walked through the, the split sea. They had to have a war. They were ex-slaves. Who were they? Is 50 days enough to figure out who the heck you are? Did they know if they had a favorite food, a favorite color? Did they know anything about themselves except getting up and making bricks? Okay, did they know what their gifts were, what their talents were? Did they know who they were supposed to be? 50 days from being slaves. And they're at this mountain. Sure, they're looking at each other going, why are we here? What are we doing? I'm really confused. Are you confused? I'm confused. Huh, we're Moses. What are we doing? Can you imagine? I mean, I put up with all you guys asking me, what are we doing? Moses with a million people? Oy, okay. They really didn't know about that much about themselves. You know? Now, most likely, they were aware of their ancestors, the patriarchs, the matriarchs. They knew they were different from the Egyptians. Okay? But did they really know what their collective identity was, what their responsibility was? Did they have any idea how they were supposed to fulfill this prophecy to Abraham of being a blessing? Did they even know what a blessing was? They'd been making bricks. I don't think making bricks is being a blessing, do you? Okay. Nowadays, we're, we call this an identity crisis, right? Let's put it in today's terms. Identity crisis. What's my purpose in life? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? You know, you read about empty nesters that they get rid of the kids and then they look at each other and go, who are you? What's our relationship? What do we have to talk about? Because it was all focused about raising the kids, right? Or you read about the moms that, you know, dad's like, oh, I'll take the littles so you can have free time. And the mom's going, free time? What, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't even know what I like anymore. I don't know what to do with free time. You mean like, I don't go clean the bathroom and do laundry. I'm supposed to do something just for me, but 
What is that? I don't even know what that is anymore because I've lost myself in raising all these little ones that are running around everywhere, especially if you have multiples, right? You know, or your identity is so tied up in a job or a relationship or a social environment, and you lose that, and then you don't know who you are. You know, are you just following somebody else's script? Are you just doing what's expected? Are you just showing up here to please your parents? Are you just here to see your friends because it's really just a social hour? Who am I? Do I even know? Have I ever known who I am? Anybody have these questions swirling around their heads? Mm-hmm. Imagine the Israelites. Now, because I'm me and I'm an administrator and I like information, okay? So I had to do a Google search. So go to Google and put in "Who am I?" Guess how many search results you get in one second? Ten billion two no ten billion eight hundred and twenty million results in one second just for "Who am I?" Now, if you really want to go through all those Google searches, feel free. I can tell you, I didn't. I just wanted to know how many results you get. But I can tell you, ultimately, it's going to lead you back to one conclusion, and that conclusion is: we are not created to be godless. All right. So the Jewish people are sitting at this mountain, looking at each other, going, "Why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? I'm so confused." They needed an identity, and God was ready, willing, and able to provide one for them. So let's go to Exodus 19, verses five and six. We'll put that up on the screens, please. Verse five. Now then, if you listen closely to my voice and keep my commandments, then you will be my own treasure from among all people, for all the earth is mine. Verse six. So as for you, you will be to me a kingdom of Kohanim and a holy nation. These are the words which you are to speak to Bene Yisrael. Identity, right there. I am your God, and you are going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God just gave them their calling and their purpose, but it came with a condition. Let's flip back to verse five. Okay, sorry, I have to look over my glasses. There is two. Little grammar lesson. We'll have another one in a minute. Action verbs here: listen, keep. He didn't say, "Oh, you're it. We're done." No, he said, "If you listen closely to my voice and keep my commandments, cause and effect, action, consequence." Okay. So he gave them an identity. Told them, started to tell them what to do. All right. Now it's interesting to note where God brought the Israelites to give them this instruction. Okay. Now Moshe was familiar with this place. Okay. He had already experienced a personal revelation here, and it was a place where he had received his marching orders. Okay, it was a place where he had witnessed something wondrous, something outside the realms of the law of nature. He had already been informed that this was holy ground. Go back to Exodus three five if you want to check me on that. 
Now, this is going to be the place where the Jewish people as a nation collectively, as Bobby talked about earlier at 10 a.m., are going to receive their marching orders. Okay? But something new is going to become the center of this new community. Let's go back to our last song, Holiness. The relationship to holiness, the awareness of the holy. So if the Jewish people had any illusions that they're going to be like a nation, like any other nation, that, was, that belief was gone as soon as they received their instructions on how to prepare to receive the law. Because God made it very clear, we ain't doing things like everybody else. These preparations to receive the Torah centered on holiness. Because the nation had to become holy in order to achieve the awareness of holiness. You don't just suddenly go, boom, I'm holy. Don't work that way. Well, I mean, it can, but you know what I mean. Okay? So they're going to become not just a nation. God didn't say, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to make you a holy nation. Okay? Not just a regular nation. You're not going to be an idle nation. You're going to be a holy nation. Okay? So, but let's go back to the stage where God had set this encounter up. Let's go to the Tanakh. I'm actually going to pull the Tanakh on this one. Exodus 19.1. The Tanakh actually uses some very curious language here. Of course, my red on red didn't do too well. I probably should have used yellow there. Sorry about that, guys. In the third month of the children of Israel's departure from Egypt, on this day, check your other translations that you may have. It does not say this. It may say on that very day, but it doesn't say on this day. On this day, they arrived in the desert of Sinai. This day, not that day, not the other day, but this day. Now, we're going to have another little English lesson. Can anybody tell me what on this day is if you were to diagram the sentence? Very good, but it's a present tense prepositional phrase. Very good. Oh, my high schoolers just went dead silent and looked down. <laughs> I will admit that I went to Natalie's homeschool teacher because she's the grammar queen to make sure I was right. So I said, if I'm putting this out in front of everybody, it's got to be right. Yes, a present tense prepositional phrase. Now, this is not a grammatical error in the Torah, okay? But it does have a profound teaching for all of us, and it tells us that the, the Torah is for today. It's for tomorrow. It's for yesterday. It is for every day, okay? The giving and the receiving of the Torah is an everyday occurrence, it tells us that every day we should recommit ourselves to the covenant. Every day we should find ways to refine our Yeshua walk. Every day is a new opportunity to hear, to learn, to act. Every day. Okay? Now, you've got a big presentation at work, right? Or you've got a presentation at school. 
what are you going to do? You're going to prepare, right? You're going to go over your presentation so you know it inside and out. You're going to make sure your visual aids, your PowerPoint, or whatever you have is on point. You're going to make sure there's no misspellings. You're going to make sure everything goes like it's sure, that it's supposed to be. If you're doing a presentation at work, you're going to get there early. You're going to go in that room. You're going to make sure the table's set up, the chairs are set up. Maybe you're going to change the blinds so the sun doesn't come in anybody's eyes, especially if it's your boss, right? Because you know where he likes to sit, all right? You're going to make sure maybe he even has a cup of water. You're going to set the stage because you want your message to be received, right? Mm-hmm. Because when we want to communicate something really important, we're going to take the time and effort to make sure our message is going to be received. Because we know that we usually only have one time to get that message across. And if we mess it up, the odds that it's going to be received a second time goes down, right? So we want to get it across the first time. So we're going to make sure that stage is set really, 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 really well, right? So we're going to put a lot of thought and a lot of planning into this. So let's look at what God did for this meeting, because he put a lot of thought and a lot of planning into this meeting, all right? Because realize in all of history, God has only addressed the Jewish people collectively once. So, there, you know, there's a lot on the line here, right? Of course, he's God, so he's not going to mess it up. But there's, you know, once. So let's look at the place. What place did he bring them to? They're in the desert, and they're at a mountain. Why the desert? Well, first of all, the desert's empty. It's barren. Little, ve little vegetation, right? Not a lot going on there. So that tells us that if we wanted to absorb the knowledge found in the Torah, we need to become like the desert. We need to get rid of any preconceived notions that we have and allow the Torah to shape and to mold us. Okay? The desert is also silent. There's not a lot of distractions to pull our focus away. Now, in the world today, we do everything we can to tame the silence. We have the radio, we have the TV, we have the internet. We have legions of electronic devices to keep us from the frightening possibility of silence. Now, if you're an extrovert, you love noise. If you're an introvert, you love silence. I live with... <laughs> well, I live with an extrovert, but I live with an introvert that likes noise. Go figure. So, you know, there's no barking dogs, there's no yelling kids, there's, there's no noisy trucks, there's none of the usual background noise that we are so accustomed to hearing in our everyday world. And then, do we need to talk about distractions? Do we have distractions, okay? And the only thing that I'm gonna to touch on with distractions is if you are finding yourself regularly distracted by something, you probably need to take note. Because where our attention often runs to tells us what's important to us. 
So a distraction can reveal what we really love. I'm just going to leave it there. You guys can do a little homework, okay? Now, talking about distractions also, have you noticed like with your relationships that you really tend to give the least amount of attention to people in our lives who we know aren't really going anywhere? We just know they're going to be there. Okay? Those are the relationships that we know we can count on, and they usually get the short end of the stick. And it's kind of like that with God, if we really admit it. Okay? We know he's going to be there. So we just kind of shove him off and say, oh, I'm going to run over here and do this. I'm going to run over here and do this. Now I'm going to run over here and do this because God's always going to be there. Okay? And we're going to keep juggling all these things and all these squeaky things because they're going to come crashing down if I don't keep juggling. But you know what? In reality, if we kept our eyes on him instead of all these squeaky juggling things, he'd probably handle it a lot better than we were. Okay? So the question is, how often do we really limit our distractions? How often do we really quiet ourselves? And if we do, how long is it before we're really uncomfortable with the quiet? And then, if we're quiet and God spoke to us, <gasps> oh no, God spoke to me. Right? But God spoke to the Israelites. But why did God hush all the other voices aside from his own? Why did he drown out all the other common background noise? Was the elimination of even minor distractions vital to creating an atmosphere where the listener was completely tuned in and receptive? Is that maybe the reason why they're in the desert? And then the Torah was given on Mount Sinai, just a lowly hill. It wasn't this big, majestic mountain, just a lowly hill, to teach us that a precondition for receiving God's word is a humble heart. You know, we have so many things that tug for our attention. Spouses, kids, friends, family, co-workers. And we have so many sounds. You know, buy this, do that, answer that text, respond to that email. All these things. And then you have the people who are, you know, the experts. And they're conceived that they're making it, and they're making it on their own without God. You know, and then you have the individual who is so full of himself or herself that they're going to have difficulty accepting or following directives from virtually anybody, that's an outside authority figure. Okay? Or then you have the one, oh, I know it all. You can't teach me anything because I've arrived. You know, I know more than you. Hmm, okay. And then on the flip side, you got the person who's just coasting through life. They move from one thing to another without really considering where God is in the process, or even really thinking, does God even really care about this? 
because the heart's not sensitive to him. So how often do you pause in your day to bring him into it? Are you so busy running around? Do you even pray before you start your day? Or is it an afterthought? What about situations? Oh, I got this situation at work. Have you prayed about it? Or is that an afterthought? Being out in the desert makes you realize your insignificance compared to this grand scale of creation. And then finally, let's be mindful that at Sinai, God designated us as his beloved treasure, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And let's conduct ourselves accordingly. We're called to a higher standard of behavior, conduct, speech, dress. How do you measure up? In one of the groups I'm on on Facebook, it's actually our um, text in church group. So the text that you guys get on Mondays and Fridays, they have a group on Facebook, and I'm in it. And the other day, a question was posed. If you were God, would you send people to your congregation? Interesting question, isn't it? So, think about it. What behaviors are seen here? What manner of dress? What manner of speech? Are we just faking it? Are we genuine? Are we hospitable? Would God want to send people here? And if they come, what are they going to see? So, we've looked at the setting. We've looked at the desert. Now, let's move to the actual event. You got the clouds. You got the shofar, which Rabbi Rene has done a wonderful job of blowing today. You've got the mountain trembling with fire. All of this is, is set to transmit the sense of wonder and awe. Now, I don't even know if the best special groups people could recreate this today, right? This was truly a moment in time, okay? So God says in three days, I'm giving you a message. So the time arrived, the nation was prepared, they were curious, they were eager, and without a doubt, Adonai utilized this opportunity to its maximum. And he was assured that the words he uttered would enter this ear and then stop. They weren't going to go out the other end. They were going to stay. Now, contrary to popular thought, God is not in the habit of performing miracles simply to impress. There is usually a reason for a miracle he performs. He intended this message to resonate through all of time. Because for the Israelites, 50 days away from being slaves, wondering, who am I? They needed to acquire a sense of living for something beyond their material reality. Now, before the Torah tells us, and God spoke, we must first learn what it means to listen. So unless there's an ear to hear, even the most powerful message from God's mouth is lost. 
if we have closed ears and a closed heart. So many can hear, but few really take to heart what they hear. So in order for these commandments to be more than mere words, you've got to find within them what resonates, and you have to make them become personally meaningful to you. Otherwise, they're just words. You've got to take ownership of them. The Ten Commandments have to be relevant enough to make a difference in our lives. Otherwise, why did God say them and whatever for? I don't know. I don't think God just says things to say things. My personal opinion. And the other thing is God's call never ceases. But how many of us stop and listen? But the other thing the other aspect of hearing is to be holy. Now, we see in Exodus 18.1, and you don't have to bring this up, it just says, and Jethro heard. So to hear is to be holy, but to hear is to also act. And we see that with Jethro. The nations heard about the events surrounding the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. The nations heard about the miraculous splitting of the Red Sea, but yet we don't see this mass movement of going to the Israelites. So somehow, Jethro was unique. Because he heard, and he acted, and he came. The Zohar asked, did only Jethro hear and the whole world did not hear? Is it not written, the nations heard and shuddered? The answer is that the whole world heard and were not humbled, while Jethro heard and was humbled and was drawn close to God. So really, it's another lesson in how obtuse people can be. Yes, you know me, I'm going to say it. People can live their entire lives seeing these miraculous things, mind-boggling things, and not be moved. Has no effect on them at all. While you're going, wow, did you see what God did? And they're like, hmm, okay. And you're like, really? Okay, where are you? Do you have a pulse? You know, they're not willing to open their eyes and their ears. And it causes them to continue to live their lives as if nothing happened. They're completely unaffected. But Jethro understood these events that happened between the Egyptians and the Israelites differently than all the other people. And he saw the need to come and join rather than just sitting back and going, oh, that was nice. Oh, okay. Let me go about my day. Let me find somebody else to make bricks. The news of several million, several million people leaving as slaves from Egypt. Wouldn't that have rocked your world? The splitting of this sea. All these events were heard by all the nations. But yet, it says, only one man 
act it. Would you have been a Jethro? The giving of the Torah at Sinai was a monumental event. It was a moment in time that radically changed the world. We can see that now, because we, we, we look in hindsight. You know, the Israelites probably didn't think about it at that time, but we see it as a time that radically changed the world. And it left its mark on every single Israelites that were there. God revealed himself. Oh my gosh, he appeared to millions of people and said, I am the Lord your God. There was no room for doubt. There was no ambiguity. It was that if only God would tell me moment that we all want for, that we all want. I want the flashing sign if God would only. And they had it. They had it. But, isn't there always a but? The drama. But, we say, if God would only do this, I'll never do this again. If God would only do this, I'll change my life. If God would do this, da-da-da-da-da. Well, what happened? Forty days later, what do we see? They built a golden calf. Fifty days from slaves. New identity, miraculous experience. God spoke, I saw God. Oh my gosh. Forty days later. Where's Moses? Where's God? I can't see it. We're lost. I need something. Aaron, do something. Here's a golden calf. What does that tell you? Mountaintop experiences are not going to sustain you. Okay? So they thought Moses has abandoned them. They didn't have enough of a faith in God to trust him and wait on him, so they took things in their own hands. They're going to do it their way and go their way. So that's it. You know, the, it, things are starting to get a little tough. How tough can it be? Moses has been gone 40 days. You're still sitting right there. The man is still coming down. Everything's still going the way it always is. You just haven't seen Moses in 40 days. Really, folks? They're human. Okay? They got afraid. Are we sure Moses is still alive? He's been up there a long time and we haven't heard anything. So, my question to you is what happens when the going gets tough? You know, what happens when you lose a business account? You lose your job, you have an accident, your faith is tested. You know, when that happens, do you say, stay true to your source of strength? Source of strength? Wow. <laughs> or do you run to your golden calf? Do you run to the mall? Do you run to the politics? Do you run to the television? Do you run to your games? Do you run to your videos? Do you run to TikTok and fall down that rabbit trail? Do you run to the refrigerator? Do you run to the alcohol? Do you run to self-absorption? Do you run to money? What's your golden calf? The quality of our faith journey the quality of our lives and the effectiveness of our witness for Yeshua all boils down to our choices. And I can tell you that there are people watching you, especially if you've made it clear that you're a believer. 
They're watching you to see how you handle these road bumps. Are you going to stay consistent? Are you going to fall apart? Now, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with falling apart, okay? We all have our moments. It's okay. But, you know, let's don't implode, okay? Besides, like, it's a little messy, but irregardless. But when you fall apart, stay connected to your life source, okay? Pull your spiritual family around you. It's okay to admit you're struggling. It's okay to admit you're having a bad day. People will ask me, how's your knees? And I'm like, ha, let's don't talk about my knees. Or they'll say, oh, you look like you're, you know, you, you look like you're, you're struggling today. Yeah, they're hurting today. That's what it is. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. My knees hurt, folks. Let's just put it out there for everybody to know. Some days are better than others, but life goes on. It's okay. But don't go to your golden calf. Stay connected to your life source. But it's, it's difficult not to be lured away by the golden calves of this world because that's what the world tells us to do. Because we're surrounded by an excess of things that cry out for our attention. Or we're holding it in our hand, a.k.a. the phone. And when we allow ourselves to focus on these idols... We're going to find ourselves drifting away from God, just like the Israelites did. It only took them 40 days. And they had this huge experience that we don't have. And when we get outside of the will of God, we're going to start experiencing the consequences of our disobedience. Because outside the will of God is going to result in disobedience. And we're going to begin to wonder... How did we end up here? How did I end up in this relationship? How did I end up in this job? How did my finances tank? And so on and so on and so on. Okay? And then, hmm, let's get to the real fun part. We find it harder, if not impossible, to follow the teachings of Messiah. So we're going to start rationalizing. Oh, well, I don't really have to do that. Oh, that's really not that important. And we find ourselves being pulled away. And then judgment comes as God allows us to live in the consequences of our decisions to take things in our own hands. Boom, we did it again. When are we going to learn? We've been warned, but we're stiff-necked just like the Israelites. So mountaintop experiences can be great, but they're not going to sustain you. What sustains you is staying in God's word and holding tight to that life source. And as you follow his commandments, as you live it in your faith walk, that's what keeps you connected. And as you do these things, that's how you bring the holiness into your life. 
But here's the thing, guys. When we have those moments when it all falls apart, and it will all fall apart, we have Yeshua. And we can seek forgiveness, and we can correct our path. But it goes back to that humble heart. Because the humble heart is not just being able to receive the, the Torah. The humble heart is keeping it. Because when our heart doesn't stay humble, that's when we get in trouble. So we keep, we humble our heart. We come back, we go to Yeshua. We ask for forgiveness. Yeshua, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I've gotten outside of the will of God. I want to return. Please help me. And we can return to that faith walk. Does not mean that magically everything's going to be okay because we still have the consequences of our disobedience that we have to fix. Okay? But we can start getting back. So, God's calling every single one of us today to throw away our golden calves. And only you and 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 virtuals, you know what your golden calf is. Because I can bet if you look deep down inside and you really admit it, you got a golden calf somewhere. There's a golden calf somewhere. I'll do that little Miss Judy look and look over my glasses. There's a golden calf somewhere. It may be a little tiny golden calf, or it could be a really big golden calf. None of us are perfect. All of us have a golden calf. And it's not necessarily a thing. It can be an attitude. Okay? It can be an attitude. It can be an action. It could be a thing. I'm not saying it's got to be a golden calf. It's, that's just a over, that's whatever that word is that I can't think of right now. Thank you, analogy. See, I told you, sometimes the brain just doesn't bring it up. But what is your golden calf? And God's telling you, deal with it. Realize it. Look at your behavior patterns and course correct. Okay? Automatic pilot is good, but as Steve will tell you, automatic pilot ain't going to lay in that plane. Occasionally, you have to put your hands on the wheel. Okay? Or the whatever you call it in a plane. Stick, whatever. I don't know. Okay? Automatic pilot doesn't get you all the way through. So, get off your automatic pilot. Get off your cruise control. Okay? And take a look at where you are. And take a look and see if there's some golden caps. So, that is it for today, guys. Let's pray. I was actually short for once. <laughs> All right, let's bow our heads. Abba Father, thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to have Shabbat together. And Lord, I just pray that We'll go out throughout this week and have an extra awareness of you in our lives, Lord. That we will look for golden calves that are in our, pa in, in our path. 
And Father, I just ask that as we go throughout this day, that we will strengthen our relationships with each other, that we will edify and lift up each other, we will pray for each other. That this congregation will be a congregation where you want to send people to. And Lord, I ask all of this in Yeshua's name. Amen.